fun. If you have trouble finding that, it's at the very beginning. And if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page one. Uh, This morning we begin a series for the rest of the summer on uh, these first several chapters in the book of Genesis. Um, This series I've creatively titled, In the Beginning. Imagine where I got that. Well, the reason we're turning to that this summer is just to have a chance to look at this very foundational piece of the Bible, this start of the story, to look at a few things, to see what it tells us about who God is. See what it tells us about who we are. What went wrong with the world? Is there there any hope for us? Genesis, these first few chapters, set the trajectory of all those questions, that entire story that unfolds throughout the pages of Scripture. So we're going back literally to the beginning for this next number of weeks this summer. So this morning we're going to read chapter 1, verse 1, up through chapter 2, verse uh, 2. Let me pray for us and we'll read. Father, we thank you for your word, and so now as we turn to this section of it, we pray that you would open it up to us. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, for it is yours. Lord, we pray that we would be able to hear what you have for us this morning. And as we come to what, for many of us, is uh, a familiar portion of Scripture, we're in that much more danger of not hearing what you have for us. Because we think we've heard it all before. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you turn our hearts to worship? And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we ask these things. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God gave them in the expanse, set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the uh, earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given for our good and for His glory. And so that's why we bring it up this morning. That's why we turn to it now to see what Genesis 1 has for us. <coughs> Genesis 1, this is, this is it's not going to come as any surprise as we've just read it. It's about creation, right? It's about creation. It's about the creation of all things. It's about things being made. Uh, and this weekend's reminded me of um, acts of creation, uh, maybe a little more metaphorically. But you know, yesterday was the Fourth of July. We celebrated the Fourth of July, and many of us went to, no doubt, to the uh, fireworks yesterday down in Colonial Williamsburg. Some of us will have gone and heard the reading of the Declaration of Independence. You know, the reading of the Declaration, the writing of the Declaration of Independence. It was it was an act of creation. It's an active group of people who were forming something new, an entirely new country, a new nation, new assembly of people that would be free from their old connections to become their own thing. So on the 4th of July, when the, end, the Declaration of Independence is read, what do we do? We, we remember. Why? Because we're a people who need to be reminded often, Right? Especially when we come to times where uh, maybe there's confusion and struggle and maybe when we go, need to go back to some of the foundational things to say, what, what, what is this supposed to be all about? Every year, the 4th of July, I read the Declaration of Independence and we're reminded again, how, what was this country supposed to be? What was the trajectory that it was started on? It was an act of creation. This, uh, this weekend, that's for all of us, this weekend uh, there's another act of creation that I'm reminded of. Well, there are two acts of creation I'm being reminded of right now. Uh, okay, they're just... What did Brian say? Bumper crop of babies recently. Other than that kind of creation. Th- uh, this morning, today, uh, it's Elizabeth and my, it's our, our 12th anniversary. 
And uh, so, you know, you know what happens on an anniversary? You, you, you stop and you do, in theory, sweet things for each other. And uh, tomorrow is our anniversary day observed. So this is our actual anniversary. But what happens when, when I think about this day, I, I remember an act of creation as well. I remember July 5th, 1997, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Elizabeth grew up. And we were, uh, that was where we were being married. And I remember getting up and going and having a breakfast by myself in the morning, thinking this is the strangest day of my life and what lies ahead. And I remember uh, coming to the church early in the afternoon as we got ready for the ceremony. It was at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I, I looked back in the Farmer's Almanac yesterday. It was 92 degrees in Charlotte and 172% humidity. And our, our wedding was at 5 o'clock, and unfortunately somebody in the church forgot to turn the air conditioning on. And so I, I remember us standing there uh, at the head of the church just literally sweating buckets with some of our closest family and friends arrayed around us, sweating buckets of their own. But what I remember most of all is, maybe you remember if you are married yourself, what was really the crux of that day? Some words that were said, vows that were made. Some way, the, the simplest thing you can possibly do to repeat a set of words that are given to you with I will and I do. But by those simple words, everything in our lives changed because something new was created. In our anniversary, we look back to the starting day of our life together when everything became different. We're reminded again of, of what it means to be married, of what we are to be about. We think back to our hopes and dreams, even on that day when we were so clueless about what we were getting into. But we remember again because it was a day of creation. Genesis 1 is about the creation. And in many ways, for many of us, it is such a familiar story. It just, it just sort of rushes right past us. It's like the air that we breathe, but we need to come back to it on occasion with our eyes wide open that we might see again what was really happening here. Something new was happening. Everything new was happening. So we turn back to that this morning to see what was happening in creation because this sets a trajectory for everything. For our world, for our cosmos, for us. These first few chapters of Genesis are unlike anything else in the Bible. I mean, you think about all the debates that come up over Genesis and creation. We'll get to that briefly in a minute. But this, this, if nothing else, is the start of our story. So we're going to look and see what creation, uh, about, look at creation and see what happened and what it tells us about God. So first, what happened? Let's just go back and look at the story. And then we're just going to talk briefly about some of the implications of what it means for us. So look back there, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. These first two verses, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, it breaks into the actual breakdown of what happens in the days of creation. Now, verse 1 and 2, likely what's happening here is this, this is a statement of the world as Genesis Chapter 1, verse 3 opens up. doesn't tell us about the amount of space or time that happened between verse 1 and verse 3, if any. But it says that in the beginning, there was an initial act of creation, and there was a world unformed that God has created. And starting in day 1, He's going to step in and make something with that world. 
Now for this whole narrative of uh, Genesis chapter 1, there's a couple of crucial, ver- crucial words there in verse 2. It says, the earth was without form and void. Okay, it was without form. I mean, it, it was formless. It was sort of this watery thing. And it was void. It was uninhabited. Okay, so those two states are what the rest of Genesis chapter 1 speaks into. That it was without form and it was void. It was uninhabited. So beginning with day one and verse three, what happens? God speaks. He says, let there be light. And suddenly the lights go on. And he names, he says, he separates and names. He says, let the the light be called day and the darkness be called night. There was evening and morning the first day. And then the second day, another act of creation and separation. What does he say? He says, let, he says, let the waters be separated. Again, the picture here is of this sort of watery planet that, that gets separated. And so that God creates two things out of that. He forms two things. He forms the sky and he forms everything else, the seas underneath it. The, uh, in verse 8, you'll see God called the expanse heaven. You, if, if your translation says that, you'll also see a text note that says can also be translated sky. The Hebrew word for heaven, what we think of as the heavens, and sky are the same word. And the context sort of determines what's being spoken of more specifically. I think it would have been better to translate it here as sky. That's what he's separating, the sky from the rest of the globe. There was morning and there was, there was evening and there was morning the, the second day. And then the third day, what happens? Another act of forming, of bringing order, says that he separates the water from the dry land. So now there is land that appears and there are seas that are now contained within boundaries. He's forming, he's separating, and he then provides plants on the earth. You see, he's setting the stage. He's getting it ready. He's, he's building a world that's a, that is going to be able to sustain life, as we'll see ultimately the lives of us, his people. But it says he separates. So these first three days answer the first part of verse 2 there. The earth was without form and void. Days 1 through 3, God steps in and he brings form. He brings order. He sets the stage so that life can begin. That's days 1 through 3. And then days four through six mirror days one through three as, they, as God then fills this world that he's created. Okay, so day one, he created light and separated light and darkness. Look at what he does on day four. It says, let, uh, verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them over the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule the day and over the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. You see, first he created light and darkness. Now in day four, he creates inhabitants for that sphere. I mean, people, you know, since the very beginning have read this and thought, how strange. You know, light and darkness are created on the first day, but you don't have the sun, you don't have the moon, you don't have the stars until day four. Well, I mean, there are a lot of ways we might be able to understand this. I mean, it's God who can limit him. Who knows what light might have looked like those first few days? Or we might just see here plainly that the structure that this is setting up for us is first is talking about forming. There is light. And now he's saying there are inhabitants there. 
He's putting the earth, he's putting the sun there. He's putting the moon. He's putting the stars. Now we read that and we think, great, the sun and the moon and stars. But if we were reading this uh, as the original audience, this would have said something incredibly profound to us. Because contrary to what everybody else in the world around us would have said, we would have read this and said, okay, this is what our God is telling us about how he created the world. Wait a minute. You mean the sun is not a God? You mean the stars don't really control our destiny? You mean they don't hold the power? You mean God just snapped his fingers and they came out of nowhere? That they are created beings just like everything else? That is what... The author of Genesis 1 is trying to tell us. He says, all other gods and the nations around you, Israel, said they are all laid bare. They're shown for the, um, the false gods that they really are. Cultures throughout the world from the beginning of time have worshipped the sun. It's the most powerful thing we see in the sky. Genesis 1 tells us, no, 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 no. It's a thing. It's material. It doesn't have divine sway over your life. Only God the Creator does. He says, God put them in the sky on day four. We go on to day five. Again, if you remember day two, what does he do? He separates the, the sky from the, from the waters. And so in day five, he fills both of those realms. He says into the sky, he said, let there be birds that fly. And into the seas, he said, let them teem with life. Let there be sea creatures, living creatures in the water. See, he's already formed a world for them. And now he, now he, now he puts life into it. Birds and fish. Creatures of the sea. Day five, there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then day six begins in verse 24. And this is the day where we we get the longest account of what happens in day six. Uh, And it says that God comes in just as in day three, he separated the seas from the dry land and made dry land. He now inhabits the dry land. Puts livestock and creatures. And another way to translate this, creepy crawly things. The kinds of things my kids like to pick up and I don't that are under stones and rocks. God made that stuff and he put it there on the sixth day. He goes on and says, God then makes the crown of his creation. He creates mankind. And we're going to get into that in depth next week. Uh, But for now, just to say in day six, he then fills that realm of dry land. So you've got these six days, the first three, talking about God creating a place for life to exist in days four through six. is God fills those realms and in six days he creates everything. Now that brings up lots of questions for lots of us. And you, you, you know some of them, you've heard of them, you've thought about them. Christians for centuries uh, and the Jews before that have looked at this and said, okay, well, were, this, were these a li- literal 24-hour, 20, six days like the way we experience days? Is that what it means by days? Brings up questions for us now. You know, how does this fit with the findings of modern science? How does this fit with the geological record? How does this fit with what we know about biology and astrophysics? What does it know, how does it fit with what we know about science? Questions that it's important for us to point out occur to us but would not have occurred to the original audience, right? I mean, they're good questions, but they are not necessarily the questions this text is speaking into. We're going to talk about what this text is speaking to in a minute, but let me just say this. As I've been uh, thinking about this stuff for a while and reading a good deal about science and faith and all those questions in these past couple weeks, I think maybe we just need to leave it at this. Historically, and it's certainly true down to today, Christians, devout followers of Jesus have fallen out on a wide spectrum of how to view the first couple chapters of Genesis. There are some who would argue and say these are six literal 24-hour days. 
And there are others that would say, uh, you know, I, I think what's happening here is that these days represent maybe long periods of time in which God was acting and creating over a, sp- a span of time. There's some that would say that this, this framework of days, it, it's actually matching, it's giving us a, a, a picture in human language that we would understand that, that these are, in one sense, God's work days. And we have work days as well that mirror His, but God's work days are not like ours. But he's speaking to us in a way that we can understand. Some would say, look at the literary features of this text. I mean, even days one through three and the way it's mirrored in days four through six. The, the author here is setting up an artistic picture of creation. And he's not trying to answer the questions that we might bring to it of modern science. And so I just simply want to say that there are a variety of ways that Christians come to this text. And so we need to be charitable to one another as we try to wrestle with very difficult issues. Um, You know, for myself, you know, I continue to wrestle through this stuff. It does seem clear to me that these are being presented to us very uh, artistically. And it is trying to make a few points, but maybe not some some of the points we want it to make. Maybe it doesn't answer some of the questions that we have. How long did it take God to create? Did he do it over a span of time or was it literal 24 hour days? I don't think the text tells us. I just don't think it does. But what does it tell us? Well, it tells us a lot. What does it tell us about God? A few things. First, author of Genesis wants us to know that God made the world and everything that is. God made it. Now, again, for first audiences of this, they would have heard this, God made the world, not Baal, not the gods of the Babylonians, The first audience of Genesis may well have been God's people in the desert as they come out of their years of slavery in Exodus. And Moses giving this to him by his hand. What would that have said to them? Egypt does not rule. The Egyptian gods that we've been brought up under, they are not the ones in control of the universe. Later, the text of... uh, The collection of the Old Testament, more or less as we know it, first really came together as a unified whole when God's people, uh, literally hundreds of years later, were in exile in Babylon. This This would have carried a new significance for God's people then as they read it in that context. Babylon, though they've come in and wiped out our land and taken us into slavery, into exile, their gods are not God. Their gods are not the ones who created the world. Our God did. He didn't need any help. And it wasn't a strain on him as it was in so many of the uh, ancient myths of other cultures around Israel. God did it and he spoke and it came to be. God created everything. Now, few of us wake up in the morning really weighing in our minds, was it the gods of Egypt or was it the God of Bible? I'm just torn by that. That's not the way we ask the question. We may well ask the question, your friends and neighbors may ask it this way, is there a God and did he really create or did everything come about only by natural processes? Only by some sort of spark of life that came, we don't know how, but no God is involved. And the Bible says very clear to us that God created. For us, the polemic of this chapter is not so much God against the Uh, gods of our foreign neighbors, but God against any sort of system of thought that would say there is no God in the world. There is no design. There is no creation. 
Scripture says very clearly that there is a God and He is the one who made all that is. So God made the world and everything in it. Second thing, God delights in the material world. Do you see that? He delights in it. God didn't have to create anything. He didn't have to make anything. Some of the bigger questions that come to mind here are not simply, how did God create? But just this question, why did God create something rather than leave nothing when he didn't need us? He made stuff that was stuff, material stuff. It's real and it matters. God thinks stuff is good and he says it this way, it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. Uh, we read often for our children out of a, a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and in the the story of the rendering of the story of creation, so it goes through and talks about how God pronounces everything good. Goes on and says this, and it was all good because God delighted in it and made it good. What does it mean that all of this is good? It means that God looks at it and he says, this pleases me. I created and I succeeded. I made what I wanted and it is beautiful to me. And so when we look at this and see that creation is good, when we go outside and look at all that God has made, when we look next to us at the person sitting next to us in the aisle, See God, and see the very summit of God's creation. Men and women made in His image. We can say this is good because it comes from the hand of a good creator and He is the one who said, this is right. This is good. This is the way that I want it to be. Now we know things are broken. And we will get to that in a few weeks. But it's important for us to remember that God delights in the material world. The problem with our world is not that it's material. Our problem is not that we're physical, that we have bodies. Our problem is that all those things have gone wrong. Think about the way this speaks against any other view of the world that would demean the material world. Think about the popularized version sometimes we get of what it'll mean one day when we die and go to heaven. What does that mean? Ethereal existence. You know, playing uh, ethereal harps, flitting around. You name it. All the best flavors of ice cream. Actually, that might be more like the real heaven. Because there will be ice cream. You know? It won't make you fat and all that stuff. Because what does Genesis remind us? That the material world is good. The Bible promises us in the end, not that we become somehow immaterial spiritual beings, but that our bodies are made right, that we're given resurrection bodies, that the world is renewed. This real world full of stuff, it's good. And it's going to be remade good as well. God delights in it. I've I've had a small taste of that this weekend. Elizabeth and I were um, redoing our back deck. A lot of the work we're doing ourselves, and we stripped off the wood, and yesterday morning, or yesterday, all day, I spent a lot of time out there putting down new boards on, on my deck. Didn't quite finish yet. Un, still unformed. We're still on day four, maybe, of that. Uh, and, but, but the crazy thing is, and anybody out here who is a real carpenter, which I'm not, knows that this is not really all that complicated, but it's a big deal for me. And so my half-finished deck, I 
yesterday evening, I, I, I pick up our three-month-old daughter, Hannah, and I, I walk her out to the deck to show her the deck. <laughs> and it was about the third time I walked out there and just walked around on my uncompleted deck because I thought, this is so good. And you know what it's like when you've made something, when you've invested yourself in something, when you've done something, when you've created something, you say, this is just good. You know, the joy of creating something. Imagine the joy that we see here of God when he looks at his creation and he says that it is good. My deck is in the middle of taking form. Hopefully, eventually, it'll be filled with children and playing things. But it, too, I hope, will be good. Okay, God made the world and everything in it. He delights in the material world. Thirdly, this story, the story of creation starting in Genesis 1, this, our story here is about God. It's about God. It says that we cannot get away from Him. In the beginning, God. He was there at the beginning. All things come from His hand. He is the one who stands at the center. In the 17th century, Galileo uh, did the very dangerous thing of taking a telescope and actually looking into the natural world to see what God created. And he came and said, you know, as uh, Ptolemy had said before him, he said, you know, the, the sun does not revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. And you know the, uh, the conflict of science and religion that arose from that as medieval theology said, no, no, no. Everything revolves, the whole universe revolves around the earth. Galileo said, no, look, the earth revolves around the sun. Well, in many ways, Genesis 1 points us in a different direction. Genesis 1 is making a more fundamental and profound point. Everything that is revolves around God. He made it. He stands at the center of it. He is the creator. We see the reality, therefore, of God everywhere we look. You see that in Psalm 148, which is our call to worship this morning. All of creation put there by the hand of God, giving praise and thanks to Him. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, listen to this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What does He say? Even the heavens themselves, they come from the hand of God and they proclaim His existence and His goodness and His glory. They say this story is about Him. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this. In the context of of Paul talking about a world that has turned its back on God, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But hear this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It's insane. Even nature itself points to the reality of our God. And everywhere we look, it screams out, there is a God who exists, who is in control, gives testimony to him. The story is about God. But then as Genesis 1 narrows down into the day 6, and again, we'll get into this more in detail next week, as God creates mankind, we see most clearly, creation also says this, God has our lives in His hand. 
He created us. He made us in everything that is. So let me ask you this. If he can make all of this, even you, what is there that he cannot do? I mean, think about it. We spent the last number of months looking at the book of James, so much of which deals with the trials and temptations and struggles of our life. Talked about what it means to bring those before God who is present. Genesis 1 reminds us, what is there that life can possibly bring at you that is more powerful than the God who created you? What's beyond his control? What's beyond his power? Because Genesis chapter 1 shows us again and again that nothing can say no to God. When he speaks in and says, let there be light, the darkness does not say, no, not here. What happens? The darkness flees. When he speaks into the chaos of the world and says, let there be sky, let there be sea, it happens. When he says, let dry land appear, up it shoots from the depths of the ocean. When he says, let there be fish, let there be birds, let there be animals on the ground, they come. When God speaks, nothing can say no to him. Now, that might sound obvious, but you and I don't get that because life does not work that way for us, right? My son, John Mack, just recently turned two. There, he, he has an enormous vocabulary, which parts of it he'll show us, especially in the morning. He's real talkative. The rest of the day, his vocabulary narrows down to this word, no. <laughs> and that's all he says. John Mack, come do this, no. We're talking about that in our family. You might not have a two-year-old, but you've got plenty in your life that's saying no. I'm out building my deck. Let me cut this board and lay it down. Is it going to fit right? No. <laughs> Making dinner. Is it going to work right? No, not always. You go to work, whatever that is for you, your plans, your effort, does it always find fruition? No. But when God speaks and when God works... The answer is never no. God speaks and it happens. That means for us as people, as he has our lives in his hands, we can trust a God who is our creator, holds everything in his hands. When we get to the New Testament, we see one of these great turns in the story that's really remarkable. And it comes up in several places in the New Testament, but I'm, I'm going to take us to just one. This comes from the very beginning of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Another telling of creation. Listen to what John says to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is saying something remarkable to us. He says, back in Genesis 1, when all things were being made, he says, the Word was there. As we read in John, we see he is speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of the second person of the Trinity, who in the very beginning was there with God and was God, and says, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. He said, Jesus was there. Said so the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit creating together one God and three persons. A mystery we cannot begin to wrap our hands around, but it does have this take-home value for us. When we open up the New Testament and we read of the fullness, not only of God's creation, but of His recreation, 
We read the fullness of what God has done to speak into, in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, this sad world that has gone so wrong. We see that He has done that for us in Jesus, that He has come to make all things new, to repair, restore all things. We see that this Jesus who brings us salvation is the very one who is there in the very beginning, who was Himself the Creator. And so we see this God who has power, has the power not only to create, but to recreate. And when we talk as Christians about putting our lives into the hands of Jesus, we can know that we are secure in those hands because they are the very hands that form this world. So when we come back week in and week out, when we gather together in a setting like this, of public worship, where we read the Scripture and we open it up, when you do that in your own home, when you read the Bible, when you share in a small group, When you talk about the things of God, we're reminded again and again of the goodness of Jesus as He comes to rescue us. And this story of creation reminds us that He has the power to do that for us because He was there in the very beginning. And He has the authority to do that in our lives because He made us. And He comes back to remake us, to renew us, to make us whole. Now what do we do with all that? I mean, Genesis 1, this, it's, it's this picture of God making everything. How do you apply that? That's a good question. I don't know. I got a couple ideas. Maybe just simply this. This week even. Open your eyes. This world that we inhabit is the theater of God's great story of creation and redemption. It displays His glory. You might see that some morning this week. If you go walk through the trails in Williamsburg, you might see it in your backyard tending your garden. But you might just as clearly see that in your interactions with people at work. As you speak to a neighbor on the side of the road. All of this, everything we see around us, proclaiming the goodness of God our Creator. Open open our eyes. And may that simply lead us to worship. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were on vacation, and we were in the back in Tennessee, where I grew up, and we were in a, up in the mountains in Middle Tennessee. And Central Time, my children didn't get the time change business; they stayed on Eastern Time. So way too early one morning, uh, our again our two-year-old John Mack comes and climbs up in bed with us as we're awake at about five o'clock in the morning. We're looking out second-story window over the mountains. And we see the sun begin to climb up over the hills. It's red and it's beautiful and it breaks forth. John Mack looks out the window and he says, Whoa! (laughs) God is our creator. Made all that is. From the lips of infants and babes, we hear a right response to God. He says, Whoa! God creates and it is good. So this week, may we worship, may we have our eyes open to the, to the magnitude, to the glory, to the grandeur of our God. Let's pray. Father, we do come and, and uh, just admit how frail our words even are even to speak about the glory of your creation, especially as we as created beings stand in the very middle of it. It is the air we breathe. Help us, Father, to gain perspective as we look around and see that this doesn't just exist. It was created by you, and even now you uphold it by the word of your power. All things 
in order, in your hand. The universe running as it should. It is good because it is from you. To open our eyes. Give us hearts that are wide with worship. Would you speak into the areas of our lives this week where it feels like things are unformed and chaotic and they need your creative and healing touch. Remind us that you are the creator who chases away darkness, who brings light. Nothing is beyond your hand. We ask this and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.